In this episode, we're talking about red flags for teachers that should not be the norm. Now, if you're not 100% sold on your career in education, then this episode might just be for you. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we record today, the Kabi Kabi and Gubby Gubby people. We recognise their continued connection to the land and waters of this beautiful place, and we recognise Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people as the original custodians of this land and acknowledge that they have never ceded sovereignty. We respect all Gubby Gubby elders, ancestors and emerging elders and any First Nations people listening today. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. Now, before we start, I'd like to ask a favour. Can you please let us know if this episode resonates or triggers you anywhere today? You can do this by shooting us a DM and maybe we can share it if you're okay with that on Instagram, or you could tag us in your favourite quote. Maybe you could let us know what your red flags are or were as an educator. And maybe we can begin the conversation around what we can do about it. But now let's get started. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in, and join us on this next adventure. When I was deciding what to do after Year 12, I ended up narrowing it down to either tour guiding or teaching, any form of teaching I think I had, right from early years all the way to high school. But I didn't really want to go straight from school to uni, then back to school. So I settled on tour guiding, hoping that it would set me up with a way to work and travel. And I ended up adding a Diploma of Outdoor Rec onto this certificate and then traveling. But it didn't take me long out in the real world of outdoor rec and tourism to realize that it wasn't doing it for me, and especially not for the long term, for a few reasons. Firstly, I was away a lot and I wasn't being paid for all the overnights. So I was paying rent, but never home. And I was, I was missing out. I was missing out on a lot of uh, what I felt were important, you know, family functions and life milestones of my friends. And I was also repeating the same set of instructions every day to a different cohort of children. Now, while I loved seeing them challenge themselves on high ropes courses or kayaking and getting out of their comfort zone, I was really only ever with them for a day or a week and I could never watch that child grow or be a part of their ongoing development. There was no ongoing relationship with the children. And again, I was getting really bored of just giving those same instructions every day. So the thing that I did love about Outdoor Ec was working with children. So I decided to do my teaching degree thinking in the back of my head that when I was ready to settle down, that it would be a good career because I'd get to see my children more often than a regular nine to five job. (laughs) Any other educators out there laughing along with me? (laughs) Because the answer to that is, you know, yes, And no. (laughs) So then I became a high school teacher. And again, I guess what I thought was going to happen was not the reality. As a high school teacher, I was restricted in what I could teach and how I could teach it. I couldn't differentiate enough to meet the interests of each child and I couldn't help them intrinsically motivate themselves. And so our relationship became about the kindest ways that I could coerce them for their own good. And this varied anywhere from me telling them, 
you know, you'll use this in your carpentry apprenticeship next year, which was, you know, rare, to you'll need to stay in at lunch if you don't finish this today, to I'm going to have to call your parents because of this assessment, to you just need to do this because if you fail this assessment, then you'll fail English and you know our school policy is that you can't go to graduation if you haven't passed. Ugh. That's not relationship building. That's not authentic teaching and learning. That was bribery and coercion. And, you know, I openly admit I was a master at it. Not happy that I was a master at it, but that's how I learned to manage groups of children. And that's what I thought my job was. I thought my job was to coerce children and students, teenagers, to getting their assessments done, you know, quote unquote, for for their own good. But it didn't make me and particularly not my students feel any good. And realistically, I'd love to know (laughs) how many of those students remember any of the stuff that that I coerced them into learning or that, you know, the system coerced them into learning, whether that was parents forcing them, you know, threatening them with being grounded or taking their phones away until things was done, you know, being suspended or getting finally kicked out of school because they just didn't want to do the work. What did they remember of the learning of that time? So, you know, it was all fine and doable teaching for me. I was happily ticking the boxes of working with children. You know, I had a pretty decent income. The work was challenging for the first few years because it was all new. And it started off feeling purposeful. Then I had my own children. (laughs) And I suddenly started realising that I was spending more time dealing with other children and their problems than my own children and that my children were left with the leftovers of me. You know, at the end of the day when you've got young children at home that aren't sleeping through the night, I was still breastfeeding and pumping at work. I was tired. I was touched out. I was drained and I was impatient. And that was with my own children. They were getting the worst of me. Another thing I quickly realized was that if I wanted to go back to work full time, I was going to have to put my own children in care to then go and look after and teach other people's children. (laughs) And for the privilege of doing this for our family at the time, and things have changed, not necessarily for the better, depending on your income, I was only going to be earning $200 after childcare fees for the privilege of doing this. You know, it didn't add up for me to go and work full time go and look after other people's kids, but realistically I was only earning $200 a week to go and work full time. I also knew from watching my own children that they needed to move. I didn't realise how much we were squashing children's needs and desires to move until I had my own children. I didn't realise how much they needed to be outdoors or how much they needed free play to regulate their emotions. And I didn't realise that pretty much no classrooms, very few early childhood centres, and that the education full stop doesn't allow ample time for this. I didn't know. I just didn't realise how much children needed it. And that's really sad. And this is, I guess, one of the problems of going from school to uni to school is that many of us don't know what learning looks like outside of school. And I was one of them. I didn't realise that children needed to and that they thrived in mixed and multi-age groups. You know, they need to be the leaders and they need to be the learners at some point. You know, if you were the eldest child at school, you're always in your class, you'll always be the eldest and also be the leader. But if you're the youngest, quite often you'll 
pretty much almost always suffer, whether that's in your grades or your level of maturity compared to others, you will always be a follower. Not always, I shouldn't say always, you know, not all men, not all children, but quite often statistically children that are the youngest in their classrooms don't do as well. There's some really great research around this. I was getting the word differentiation shoved down my throat every day as a teacher, but I knew that I couldn't truly differentiate to meet a child's unique interests and skills and level of development in large classrooms with such varied needs and abilities, but mainly with the stringent curriculum and the lack of time to help children explore and help them learn the things, you know, to catch them up where they needed catching up. The data never told the full story. You know, stories like little Johnny, who, and this is a true story from one of my schools, who wasn't allowed to go home or to sleep at night until he'd sold a certain amount of drugs or he'd get a beating. So he wouldn't go home. And like he or I cared about his academic data, What we cared about was getting this kid food and finding him a different bed that he could go to. We can't look at children as pure data. They are human beings and they are human beings outside of school with vastly, vastly different needs. And there was no time to ask students these questions. Often I didn't know until I had a welfare officer or the guidance counsellor come and let me know what some of these children were suffering or going through in their lives. We didn't have time to talk about life or love. No time to sit with students who were going through a breakup or serious illness in their family. There was no time to connect. Everything was so rushed and crammed. It was all about getting the assessments done. It truly felt to me like the humanness was being taken out of teaching and I was getting increasingly frustrated with the system and feeling helpless and unable to do anything about it. And I just kept dreaming and wondering, what if I could change the classroom? What if I could teach somewhere where I could bring my own children with me or I could choose not to bring them with me? What if my children or the children in my new classroom including my own, could be involved in creating what it looked like and what we were doing in it? What if I could teach but not have to teach in a typical school classroom or to a typical school timetable? What if I could teach in ways that respected children and respected their autonomy, their humanness, and we were able to follow their interests? What if I could teach but give students all the time they needed to learn something? to ask questions and to daydream, to have off days and on days where they got into deep flow and I could just leave them to it rather than finish them up at the bell after 45 minutes? What if I could teach in a more flexible way around my own children and my own family's needs? What if I could teach and earn the same income and not work full time? These were all the questions I started to wonder and so I started to do a little bit of research. Okay, not a little bit. I did a bunch of research and I read about Steiner School and I did supply teaching in a Montessori school and they definitely felt more aligned, but it still wasn't what I was looking for for myself as a teacher or educator. I read about Sudbury Valley School in the US and the Summerhill School in the UK and other free schools around the world. And they were all really great, but obviously they weren't in my area and I also didn't want to start my own school. Then I read about homeschooling. And I learned that you could follow a curriculum by doing distance ed or purchasing one to just do at home. 
But as an educator, I wondered how this was any different to going to school other than the size of the classroom and flexibility of the delivery and time that it takes to get through the work. I knew that I didn't want to follow that stringent and dry curriculum. I knew that I wanted the children, my children and children in this potential program that I wanted to start to be able to follow interests outside of the curriculum. The curriculum doesn't and never will and can't cover all of humankind's interests. It is specifically designed for what our government needs in what they see in their 10 or 20 year plan for workers. I wanted my children to be humans outside of that. I learned about homeschool co-ops and how some are at people's houses, some are held in community halls or churches. I learned some are very school-like. Some pick the less academic parts of school, like sport or art and music. I learned that some are religious and do Bible study. I learned that others might vary their focus to nature or book club and so on. I learned that most can be run really cheaply and that here in Australia we can get really cheap insurance through the Home Education Association. If you can't find what you're looking for, I learned from the people that I spoke to that you should build your own. So if you are looking into co-ops, do some research, go and attend some and talk to some other co-ops in your area. Everyone was really helpful when I got to that part of our journey. And we started a homeschool co-op for about six months and we learned a lot from it. But then I discovered unschooling or natural learning and that was when personally my light bulb went off. It made sense. It just made sense to me. Children could follow their interests. They could follow them at their own pace. All I needed to do as an educator was provide the time, the space and the resources and help when asked. <laughs> and so, of course, from there... Vicky and I went and started our own alternative education business. We found that it was a way and still find that it's a way that we can teach where we can bring our children and make an income. We obviously went the Nature Play Programs route here at Wildlings Forest School, but we have seen many, many other businesses run by educators that run art classes or music or dance or robotics, coding, science, all of those things. They run homeschooling classes, but they also go into schools and early childhood settings. Some run holiday programs, some run events and festivals. And of course, since then, we now teach teachers and educators, which I just love. I love seeing educators where I was in, you know, I was really lost. I was really confused. I was really disheartened in what I thought education and teaching and working with children was going to look like and then what that actually truly felt like for me and it didn't sit well with me. So I and Vicky, we now get the pleasure of helping people move from these systems and start their own wild businesses. So all of these options from working at alternative schools to homeschooling and unschooling all the way to creating your own alternative educational wild business are other ways that you can teach if you too are feeling burnt out by the system that you're in. If you want more time with your children, if you want more flexible work hours, if you want more freedom, you know, hello taking holidays outside of the super ridiculous school holiday periods, or heck, if you even want to work less hours. 
look, I may have been hiding under a rock somewhere, but this was a complete epiphany to me. I honestly didn't realize that you could teach anywhere but schools and early childhood settings. And if I had have, I absolutely would have done it far sooner. So our aim with this episode really was to simply let those of you that feel like school or early years education is the only way to teach and work with children as a teacher, that there are other options. And that if you are feeling misaligned in your educational philosophies, if you're not able to be your authentic self, or if you're feeling overwhelmed and frustrated at how the education system doesn't keep up with the research and isn't doing what you believe is truly best for kids, that there is hope and that there are other options out there to explore. So if you'd like to find out more about starting your own alternative education or wild business course, then come and join and find out more about our wild business course because it's a Kickstarter program like no other. And it is specifically designed for teachers, forest school leaders, outdoor recce's, early years educators who pretty much have had enough and are ready to leap into the big wide world of business. So if you want to take the guesswork out of starting from scratch and more importantly, if you want to create a business that is deeply rooted in community and values, authenticity and purpose and what is best for children, then come and head over to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash wild dash business. Come and jump on the waiting list because we're about to start taking enrollments for our next intake of wild business at the end of November. We really, really hope to see you there. I can't tell you how much Wildlings and running this business has changed my life, how purposeful I feel, how much I feel like I am changing our community for the better and helping children learn who they are and learn in the ways that are best for them. I really can't rave about enough. I will never, should never say never, but if I can help it, I will never step foot back into a typical classroom again because I have seen the other side and I can't unsee it. So we hope to see you in the next intake. Come and join us on the wait list. And until then, listen to your intuition. If you resonate with these red flags, if you feel those things in your bones, there are other ways of teaching and being and working with children. We hope to see you there. And until then, stay wild. Mm-hmm.